Hello everyone, welcome to Users First, a UX design podcast. I'm your host, Alessio Ferracuti, and today our special guest is Adam Rotmiel. Adam is a design and product lead at AstraZeneca, which is one of the world's most known pharmaceutical companies. Today we'll talk about how Adam can turn ideas into life-changing medicines and digital products that will improve patients' lives and benefit society. Adam is also a volunteering mentor and he's taught uh, design to thousands of students in the past and he's still teaching product design nowadays at the Maryland Institute College of Art. He's also just become the podcast host of Still Iterating, which is a casual design podcast where he chats about mentorship, growth, design trends and much more. We'll leave the link in the description of the audio, so make sure to check it out. Welcome, Adam, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here. Are you working remotely right now? Yeah, so I've been working remotely since last year, um, which feels approximately like last week to me now. Um, But the funny thing is how much I like it. Uh, And I know there's a lot of terrible things going on in the world. But for me, personally, I think I can be grateful for the fact that my life's actually been been pretty great. I've been able to spend more time with my family, more time with my daughter. You know, I'm cooking more instead of driving. And uh, it's it's actually been pretty great. Um, one thing I miss is just the the tactile, the hands-on aspect of design, being with people, of course, sticky noting, and just the weird sort of random connections that come up when you're together. But I think, you know, we're making the most of it, and I'm feeling pretty good. That's wonderful. And I believe that, you know, this um, life-work uh, balance is very important, you know, making sure that you do your things, you know, actually spending more time cooking instead of driving. I think that's, that's, that's amazing. You know, uh, we, we actually have pros and cons during this period. And I believe that's a big pro. Yeah. You know, I always like to cook, uh, but, um, it was almost by necessity. Like you couldn't get bread at least here in the States, right? Some places, uh, you couldn't necessarily get ground meat. Right. So I was like, okay. So I got the flour. I started making pasta, um, I started making tortellini by hand and all this stuff. I got wow. a ravioli tray, uh, making bread, doing pizza Fridays. And it's actually, it's turned out a lot better. And there's a lot of stuff that I think we're going to keep doing um, after after all this stuff is all over. That's a beautiful routine. Uh, me as well, I started making pizzas and more like, um, uh, actually not, I haven't tried any dumplings or tortellini and stuff like that, but uh, pizzas is more my thing. <laughs> I make more yeah. than once a week, actually. <laughs> once you start, you can't go back. Yeah, because you know, you know, like you're you're becoming like a master. Every time you make it better, you change something. You know, you and it and it's a lot better than uh, what is in the restaurant because you know what you're putting. You know the ingredients that you put. So, <laughs> I know that well, uh, you recently have um, done some career change. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, previously, I was at uh, Fjord, uh, which is a really great global design studio. It's part of Accenture Interactive, um, but it's really just a great studio in its own right. And I was there for two years where I met a lot of great designers, some of the best people in service design, digital product design. And then I, I saw a really interesting opportunity here in the Maryland area at AstraZeneca, which, you know, their name has been in the news because they're one of the top you know, pharmaceutical companies, and and that's so important right now more than ever. Um, so I was excited about that. And when I found out about the opportunity, 
I really, I got to talk with them and I really liked the way they think. Um, and I think it's, it's maybe unique because, you know, as UX designers, we get a lot from the scientific method. We love doing research. We love, you know, uh, forming hypotheses and making sure that they're testable and stuff like that. But it's almost, it's really just that to the nth degree when you're doing it at a company where everybody basically has a PhD. They're all scientists, they're all doctors, and there are standards, uh, government standards, safety standards, which you have to because the consequences are, you know, it depends if someone's going to get better or not. And you can't just move fast and break things with that when it's coming to, um, you know, the impact on someone's life and their health, you have to really prove that the design is not only delightful, but that it actually results in a positive health benefit to people who use it, whether that's medicine or whether it's a software that guides their behavior. And I love that standard. I think that's super exciting. And that to me just really spoke to me. So I'm, I'm really excited to be involved. Absolutely. And was is it the first time that uh, you work in this field in the digital therapeutics? I've worked on um, something in the past that was health related, um, where, you know, basically a patient, this was for veterans. So, you know, they needed to keep in touch with their doctor about certain things. So they'd like send a text message and mm -hmm. it would capture their blood pressure and stuff like that. So but there's another level of this, which is um, what's called software as a medical device. And in order to qualify for that, it actually has to be approved by, you know, the Food and Drug Administration and similar regulatory bodies. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that it's so real that a doctor can actually prescribe your app to a patient because they know that if they do, there's a a scientifically proven health benefit. So I just think that's super cool. And that's a first for me. Yeah, absolutely. And what is it, what is the, what is like your role right now in the, in the, in the company? What is it that you do? I know you've worked many years as a design and product lead. Yeah. Well, so I am the product discovery and design lead, and there are a few design leads because there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but what I really like about that is that it makes it clear in every way that it's not just about delivering software. It's not just a delivery track, but it's also about figuring out what the future is of, you know, what's going to, what's going to get invented three years from now. Um, what does that world look like? So there's a lot of design futurism about figuring out kind of where things are going, what signals we're seeing. Um, and, you know, what are, what are people excited about in the year you know, 2023, 2025, and how can we start thinking about that now so we can start coming up with cool ideas, prototyping them, and doing that really rigorous analytical work so that when we get to the future, you know, we've invented it, we've tested it, and we've proven that it works. I like it. Love it. Uh, and have you had anything to do with um, with the COVID, you know, being, you know, in this uh digital therapeutics uh, field, have you had the chance to, to, to research on it or to work on it or anything like that to no, doctors? No, not any more so than just um, like the kind of like the workplace, you know, so like Facebook for work group and stuff like that, Teams channel. So like I see um, other people who are working on that, but I'm not. Um, but, you know, who knows, right? I mean, who knows what the future is going to look like? I'm open to anything. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds exciting. Uh, what have you done in this uh, couple of weeks so far uh, that you're most yeah. excited about? So we're working on something that um, is going to help people who have certain um, health conditions to be able to have better outcomes. Um, because it's not only about any type of prescription drugs that they may get, but it's also about behavior. Um, and so, you know, what I'm learning more and more is that, for example, in the United States, that the way that we approach healthcare, the way that our whole system is set up is that it's really designed for an excellent response to somebody who's having a crisis, somebody who's already got sick, and then there are ways to deal with it. But the other side of that coin, which I think, you know, there's room to improve on is what are little tweaks you can do in your life so that you don't get sick in the first place? Or if you do, you don't get as sick. Um, and that kind of stuff is totally addressable through product design, through digital software, apps, because we know if there's little nudges that you can do that get people to save for retirement or little nudges that build healthy habits or whatever, get people to subscribe to podcasts and keep listening to them. You know, you can do all those little things um, to help people, you know, have have better health in the first place. Absolutely. And uh, do you actually uh, do something about your, your health? You know, you mentioned that you, lo- you do a lot of homemade foods. Do you, what do you do? Do you train? Do you? I have to get better <laughs> about exercising. You know, I used to exercise more when I was a teenager. I was a, uh, you know, it's like lifting weights and going running. I haven't been doing as much of that. I know at least the food I'm cooking, I know what goes into it. Um, yeah. And the ingredients are, you know, at least they're nothing synthetic, right? Makes a big difference. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, there's a balance too, because I think it's also been shown, maybe I don't know if this is true or not, but I think, and I believe that if you're happy, you also live longer, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you don't want to just go so healthy in one direction that you're less happy. You've got to still have joy in your life. A hundred percent. As a matter of fact, the other day I was uh, watching this small documentary about people that live a long life. And apparently the people that live the most are the people that live in Sardinia, which is a region in Italy. I don't know if you ever really? heard of it. Yes, it's an island in Italy called Sardinia. Uh, it's uh, very close to, um, uh, I think, uh, very close to, to Spain. Yes, very close to Spain. And uh, well, it's an Italian re- region. And uh, people there are, are living longer because apparently they live without any stress at all. <laughs> They eat like really good. Yes, they eat like really good Italian food and uh, they just, you know, relax all day. They do like an easy job (laughs) and they live near the beach, like beautiful waters and long walks every day, sun. So, you know, that says it all. And they live like over 100, 105 years. That's amazing. Yeah, I think they're onto something. You know, I think the more we, you know, we do with like business agility and kind of sprinting and sprinting and sprinting. I think there's another way of looking at that, which is, you know, sometimes you should not sprint and uh, just, yeah, walk, just, you know, relax. And uh, it's good for you. I mean, and that's why people go to Europe, right? And, you know, my wife and I, when we went to uh, our honeymoon, we went to Italy and it was great. It was awesome. You know, it was like going into a movie, just these beautiful, you know, uh, just the the sun, uh, just the way that everything looked was just so warm. And uh, the people were kind of like, hey, how are you? You know, and everything was delicious everywhere. You know, I can't yeah. wait to go back. I really miss traveling. 
Absolutely. And you also, I mean, you mentioned before that you took the train and you didn't take the car. So that definitely influenced your, your travel. So, so funny thing about that. Uh, so what I didn't know is that apparently you guys are pretty laid back about exactly which train you take. So we had like the ticket and it's like this train, this time, whatever. And I remember getting there and that train didn't show up. And I was like, what's going on? Freaking oh. out, <laughs> running around the station. We're asking people. And they just thought we were so, you know, like a bunch of rednecks because they're like, just get on the next train when it comes. Relax. You know, yeah, they said the that, right? Take it, take it easy. Just take yeah. the, the next train. I guess it's an Italian thing. What was the reason? Was the, the train the train late or it was just didn't show up and nobody knew? Because that happens too in Italy. Like, like, stands, like the bus doesn't show up <laughs> and nobody knows. I've lived like all my life. Sorry? It was a little late. Yeah, it was a, a little, little late. late. Okay. Um, you know, whatever. But that just goes to show you, right? The Swiss are very uptight about the trains, but uh, yeah, not so much going up through, through Italy. But um, oh, it was wonderful. We went to this place where there was like a castle that you could stay in and uh, it was just so cool. And they had this guy who would bake bread and you could tell that they were just in their own perfect little world that was yeah. just untouched by the rest of the world's problems. Actually, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna touch base on this and then we'll go back to design because I have a very good question about your mentoring. Um, in the North of Italy, they have about uh, a three hour, three hour lunch, uh, lunch break, <laughs> four stars. <laughs> Three, three hours is the longest lunch break I've ever heard. You go in oh, the I north. forgot about that. Yeah. Right. The meals, every meal went on minimum two hours. And I remember, yeah. you know, you'd go in, you'd have a nice dinner, right? And you'd finish. And I would like wave for the waiter's attention, you know, and he comes over and then I would say, we're finished. And he would say, okay. Mm -hmm. And then he would just walk away and he wouldn't bring the check because, you know, maybe he didn't realize I said, that we're finished because we want the check. He was more, he assumes we're going to stay and talk for at least another hour, hour and a half. Yeah, that's what usually happens. It's not, um, it's a bit different from the States. Also, have you noticed that, um, you know, you didn't give any tips <laughs> and they didn't get upset? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that in the States uh, would never happen. At least no. you have to give like a 20, 20% tip to the waiters and and the services in, in Italy is uh, generally good. I don't know about your, your experience that you had in the restaurants. Everything was good. Nice. Nice. I know that you also do some, um, volunteer design, uh, mentoring at the moment. I know you've, you've done it for a long time and right now you're doing with, uh, UX coffee and, uh, amazing design people. I was wondering, yeah. you know, how that works and, you know, what, what you do, what, what your role is and the students you, you had involved or students or professionals. Yeah. So um, I first got involved with UX Coffee Hours, which was started by uh, Tejas Papasati at Google um, and some of his colleagues. And it just looked really cool to me that, you know, people at this dream company where everyone wants to work would just make themselves available and say, sure, I'll look at your portfolio. I'll give you some tips. Um, and then the uh, thing, the situation started getting worse because of COVID. There were these terrible layoffs at a lot of great companies like Airbnb and Lyft and some of the other sectors that have been hit by obviously the drop in, in tourism or, you know, people being, feeling scared about getting in a, in an Uber and stuff like that. So, um, and that was when, um, so two other people, Felix Lee and James Badur, started the Amazing Design People list. And initially, I think it was just a spreadsheet. From what I've heard, they were just keeping track of like who was impacted by 
these layoffs and, you know, these are some of the best designers in the world. Couldn't we connect them with um, other other places that are hiring. Um, and somehow or another that turned just organically into um, it, people chipping in and saying, Hey, we'll help you do interview prep and we'll review your portfolio. And then that just turned into like hundreds and hundreds of, you know, really great designers taking however much time out that they could afford or, or they were willing to do. And, you know, it's not a lot. It doesn't have to be a lot. You could do half an hour a week mm-hmm. if you want. Um, so, you know, what's, you know, what have you got to lose if you spend half an hour in the morning on Friday, just helping somebody who, you know, who doesn't have the, um, who hasn't done so many mistakes as you, uh, you know, and I've made a ton of mistakes and that's where experience comes from. So I can see what somebody's doing and I'm like, oh, I've made that mistake before, you know, here's a better way to handle it. And they appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I can see that, you know, it's, um, I, I think it's a blessing, you know, to have such a strong community and people that are like you willing, willing to mentor others. And I, I was wondering, uh, by the way, I've, I've known UX Coffee uh, for a while and, you know, I'm, I'm blown away by, by the amazing work that these people do. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more thankful for that. What kind of mentorship uh, do you provide to, to people? Yeah, well, so I talk about um, things that I think where I can provide some good perspective. So, you know, I started designing in the nineties. I started as a graphic designer. So I'm happy to talk about that. And then, you know, I got into information architecture and the web around 2000. So, you know, web design, UX design, or at the time was information architecture. Um, and then I've also done team leadership, team management. I've done people management, you know, and coaching and mentorship itself, uh, workshopping, service design. You know, I've been at startups, I've been at corporations, financial, health, uh, government, uh, whatever, all of that kind of stuff, uh, and freelance. Um, and I've also, I worked uh, in Japan for about four years. Um, so like anybody who has any, any questions about those types of things, I can at least speak to the perspective that I've had. Um, and below, sometimes people just, you know, want to know, like, as a hiring manager, can you check out my portfolio? Um, or, you never know who you meet. Like I met a guy, uh, Jakub Zagzolka, who's now 17 years old. He's got a killer design portfolio. Um, he's already been working for like five years or something yeah. crazy like that. So I had him on my podcast, which is going to come wow. out soon. But okay. yeah, it's is really it, is the guy. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Is he the guy that interviewed 40 design leads? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. that was my idea. No way. Yeah, I was oh, like, you okay. should connect with this. And But he's the one who actually did it. And um, it, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, like such a, a strong ambition, you know. I can see he's gonna he's gonna be a, a great person and uh, a, a great designer, definitely. Seventeen years old. Yeah. I, I saw his uh, portfolio and uh, his uh, CV. I mean, that's amazing. He has more yeah. experience than I do. And I think that so many people have that potential, um, you know. But you know, we just live in a world where uh, so much of it is so fake, you know, especially on social media. Like you're seeing what people want you to see. And, you know, you're not seeing like the total dumpster fire everywhere <laughs> that they don't want to just see. So it yeah. creates this expectation of like, how am I going to compete with this? And mm-hmm. it almost gets to the point where you feel like, why should I even try? Um, but it's not, you know, this has really flipped it on its head because people who have made it um, are saying, look, let me show you. It's not as hard as it looks. And like right where you are, I can help you navigate a couple of these twists and turns, you know, and if you have a few people help you, um, that can help a lot. And I had mentors too. Um, mm-hmm. I had a great, 
a mentor who was at a design agency called Lippincott. Um, the guy, Jerry Kuiper, he did the, he designed the AT&T logo and the, the World Wildlife Panda. He was involved in that um, design. And, you know, he was nice enough to um, take me around the city in New York when I went to visit. And we used to, we're walking around the city and he would like point to buildings with, and he'd say, oh, I did that logo. And, you know, I did that <laughs> one. Wait. And, you know, it That's was just crazy. amazing. His portfolio was Manhattan. And, wow. um, you know, he uh, was willing to take that time, look at my portfolio and give some feedback. And then he recommended for me to go to the Basel School of Design, where I was able to study with one of his teachers, Wolfgang Weingart, you know, who was like kind of the the uh, the grandfather of the, the Swiss punk new wave design. Um, like some of his great students, like April Grayman, also very influential. And, you know, just having that type of thing was really helpful for me. And it gave me an energy that would propel me forward um, so that I could hold myself to that high standard, just thinking of like, what would that mentor think? What might they say or how might they approach this design problem? So just having those great role models um, to, to surround yourself with can really help a lot. And I always felt like, you know, if I ever get to such and such a point in my career, I would hope to be somebody who can be that person for somebody else. Um, and then suddenly I realize I'm not 20 anymore. I'm 40, even though I don't want to uh, admit it, but it's like, mm-hmm. I think I'm there. So now I'm teaching design and I'm, I'm mentoring and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be doing that. It's a really exciting time in my life. Wonderful. You know, I, I believe that having like people that have such a high ambition and, you know, that have actually impacted the world like you, your mentor did. I mean, just changes your mindset completely. Like I, I also try to, to have these people around me and trying to push, you know, negative energy away from me. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Has it ever happened that, you know, uh, you were asked to mentor someone, but you, perhaps you didn't like the person to mentor um, let me think about that. Well, you know, so when I was a teacher, I also taught English for a while. Um, so sometimes we had to deal with some kids who were a little bit unruly, you know, this was in Japan. So one time, um, I was teaching in, uh, this city called Takamatsu, um, which is not a very big city, but it's big enough. And so where our, um, where our office was, I had this one kid, um, he was a little rascal and we had this exercise where we'd throw a little stuffed animal back and forth and count the numbers. And uh, so we got up to, I don't know, four or five or something. And he just went whoop and he threw it out the window. So the stuffed animal went out the window, but the problem was that right next to us was this like Yakuza headquarters, actual, like, you know, the Japanese mob. And so this stuffed animal lands right on top of the Mercedes Benz of like this big, like this boss gangster. And uh, wow. he comes in and he comes storming in and he's, you know, it's a good thing this was a soft stuffed animal because I would have made you pay for the repairs on my car. And we all had to apologize and bow a thousand times. But, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. So, that, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in your life. But I think everybody who wants to, to learn something has been, uh, has been great. And if I can support that, I, you know, I try to, I try to support that. You, you seem like though very, very patient. I mean, if someone uh, can be mentored by you, he has to push like the limits <laughs> like this person. <laughs> I think, you know, I've, I've had the one thing that I cannot and will not tolerate is if somebody won't make the effort. Right. And I very, very rarely see that um, because if somebody gets 
you know, far enough that they get an interview or they get a job or they've decided to make a portfolio, they're probably going to make an effort. Um, very, very rarely I've encountered people who, you know, just um, wouldn't try, wouldn't try, wouldn't pick up a book, wouldn't practice a program. And um, that's just not the, you know, that's not the kind of mentorship that I can provide. I'm not of equipped course. to um, to to do very much with that. But I think if someone's saying, hey, I want to get better, I want to do more, then I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you obviously had like many, many students, so you must be like pretty familiar with um, uh, teenagers' behaviors and also like young young students' behaviors. Why do you think that a person or a student is not willing to work hard? What do, what do you think, like, you know, very, very in general, what do you think has gone wrong that has changed their work ethic? Well, you know, um, so I've learned also from being a dad you know, our daughter now is almost three. And one thing that I remember is when we were teaching her how to use a glass. Um, and this was what one of our, one of her teachers at school told us about this. They said, you can't just fill the glass up with water and say here, because when she tries to drink it, she's going to spill it all over. And then she's going to learn this self-defeating belief, which is that if I try this, I will fail. And they said, what you have to do is just pour in like one sip of water and then she will try it and she'll be able to take the sip and then she'll develop the self-confidence that says, you know, I can do this. And that's really what you have to do when you're leading a team. You, you can't just throw, you can't just take a new person and say, hey, you do the research because that's the whole glass of water. You've got to give them this little piece where you're providing the structure, you're showing a good example, right? What's called modeling. Um, and just say like, let's do this part. Here's how you do it right? I'll guide you. And then they will develop the self-confidence, which is a foundation which you can build on and they get stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can actually think of an example like that. There was some time ago that I saw a Facebook post and it was like, you know, I can teach you how to fish or I can give you the fish. But eventually if I give you the fish, then you won't be able to fish anymore. So I yeah. can, you know, I can teach you how to fish so that you can, t- in that case, you can like, fish forever. I believe, yeah, maybe like these people, you know, have been spoiled or, you know, they had like some bad work be. ethic that uh, a bad role model. It in could general. be. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, you know, life, the thing is, I've learned that um, you never know what's going on in someone's life and they could have yeah. some other complications that, that you don't know. But um, I don't know, you know, so my teacher was the same way. I mean, he said, I'm going to meet you at 5.30 in the morning, right? And you had to be there. And if you were there, he would be there at 5.30 and he would teach you like this great typography. But if you showed up at like 5.31, he would just, he would leave, you know? So the expectation is that you've got you've to show up, you've got to take it seriously um, and put the effort in. But then, you know, the other side of the coin, if a student is willing to do that, then the teacher also has to be willing to do that. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, could you tell us a bit about your uh, podcast, uh, which is really exciting? You already gave us like a bit of, uh, you know, an introduction about Jacob, right? That came to the podcast. Uh, amazing, amazing uh, person, amazing teenager. Uh, is going to do a lot of things. Can you tell us a bit about the podcast and what you, what the, what the message is that you're trying to communicate to other people? Yeah, I mean, so that's a perfect example of what makes this podcast different. I think a lot of podcasts um, feature 
people who are well-known, um, people who are very accomplished, which makes sense. But I wanted to start a podcast that would welcome everybody, um, including people you've never heard of, including people who are still in school, people who are going through this transitional time of like maybe they're thinking about getting into UX or maybe they just started and they're trying to figure it out. Or, you know, maybe they've been working for a year or two and it's not, they're not quite where they want to be yet. Um, and it's really about that in-between stage. That's why it's called Still Iterating, um, where, you know, I'm really against the kind of what I think of as the fake, you know, a highly manicured presentation um, because the truth is most people are not really where they thought they would be, or maybe we're not where we think we, we should be, um, but we're trying to get there. And I think everyone, if we're honest, has this, this what I call a perpetually incomplete process of growing um, because your thing is you're never going to get there. Wherever it is that you think you're going, um, you won't get there. But what's, what's important about it is that you have the motivation to try and to create a vision of, you know, goals that you can work towards. Um, but the thing is that just like with design, you're always going to keep changing it and keep learning stuff and realize that you have to pivot and go in a completely different direction. And that's just life, right? Yeah, I, I really like it. I really like it. Still, still iterating. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the presentation that you just said. Sometimes like we're trying to make things perfect and we don't accept the fact that we're going to make mistakes along the way or that we have to uh, iterate. Exactly. We have to improve ourselves. I think it's just like you have to be able to be humble and accept the fact that you're going to make mistakes and you need to improve. You need to learn and you need to keep on, uh, how they say, grinding. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah. I work. mean, for a, for a profession that prides itself on empathy and being human centered, I think sometimes we need to have more empathy for ourselves um, and just recognize that, you know, we're, we're all just people. Uh, you know, kind of like hacking away at it. Right, right. And, um, you know, you had like many years of experience. I would like to know a bit more about how you got into design. You said you got into uh, information, um, information architecture. You did some um, graphic design as well, which is quite interesting because you started before the 2000. So you, you, you've seen like the whole thing, the internet exploding and uh, web design, how, how, how did you get to becoming, you know, a, a teacher that you're nowadays? Sure. Yeah. So um, initially it started really with computers. Um, so when I was eight, 1988, um, my uncle, you know, my dad and my uncle had come over to the U.S. because World War II. And uh, my uncle was working at IBM and he sent us a computer, which, you know, we had to like build it. Um, but we had an IBM 8088, uh, which took like five minutes to start. But we learned um, how to do programming. We learned the basic uh, language. And we would do these really imaginative games where you could like choose your own adventure. And I just fell in love with it. To me, it was like magic. And um, at the time, IBM was like Apple now. It was like the most common Oh, yeah. I hated Apple at first because it didn't work <laughs> with anything. And, uh, you know, I, in fact, I actually created a video game in the late 80s called Smash the Max, um, where you would, the whole point of the game was you would go around smashing Apple computers with a giant <laughs> hammer. Um, I was IBM all the way because you couldn't configure a Mac. You could never, you couldn't upgrade anything. You know, I thought it was crazy. But um, 
Uh, so that's ironic, right? It took me a long time to realize that what Apple was all about was the user experience. Um, and that if you're not, you know, if you're not gung ho into computers, um, you know, like most people aren't, uh, you, you need a good user experience, you know, but you know, so at the time, um, yeah, I was doing that stuff. I fell in love with it. I like creativity. I was always into drawing and stuff. And um, in high school, I had a, a great friend whose dad published a, um, a newspaper and they were willing to give me a summer job, um, initially stacking newspapers onto these like wooden pallets. And uh, it was pretty gruesome actually, because working on the print floor, we had these people who were like shipped over from a prison on a nearby island, which you know, this is in Maine. So this is straight like Stephen King <laughs> stuff. I mean, this is like Shawshank Redemption, yeah. you know, guys that came over. Um, so I did that for a while. And then they let me go up to what they called the Mac room, which was like, you know, you team up with the paste up people. So you would design the ads and do the typography and print it. And then they would cut everything up and they would paste up the pages um, to make the newspaper. So that was kind of like this hybrid time where digital um, was just getting involved. Uh, and from there, I just, I was hooked. I got into, you know, graphic design and type, and um, then I went to college for it. And but you didn't study, oh, you studied graphic design in college, right? Yeah, I did. I studied graphic design at first um, after one sort of ill-fated year of trying to do um, 3D computer animation, which I turned out mm. not to be very good at. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I got into graphic design and then I realized how much I didn't know, you know, and now I look back on some of my stuff that I had done, you know, as a teenager and I kind of cringe because it's all, it's like everything awful, like this, these horrible typeface choices and just <laughs> like bad design decisions. But that's what you have to learn in college, right? They teach you the fundamentals. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got into that, really fell in love with it. But the truth is, I was never making that much money and it became pretty clear with the advent of the web that the print wasn't really going to be where the money's at unless you're so good at it that everybody knows who you are. Um, that still so applies to, to today. And I'm, 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 I'm actually impressed that you, that you say these, that you for 20 years ago, you as graphic designers are, you know, there is still a position that there is nowadays and it's literally dying. Like, uh, unfortunately. It's hard, right? I mean, I, there are people who are really good at it and I'm a little bit jealous because, you know, they've been able to do, it's almost like being a poet in a way. I mean, yeah. you know. You have to be um, very good. You have to very be creative. very good. Very creative. I mean, you don't have so much uh, background information like you do in design. You don't have all the research. You have to come up with it, you know, with your own mind and, and be know, okay with it, what that, the clients say. I wonder if that's changing now. Because that I remember that, um, you know, part of the, the method was you'd go and you'd find out, you'd ask kind of what the client wants, or you'd find out a little bit about the audience, but then you would go and disappear um, into your studio and go through a creative process and you would do your own, essentially iteration, but you'd work that process on your own, refine it, and then get to a point where you bring it back to the client and, and show it to them and hopefully they would like it, but sometimes they would reject it, which was always very mm -hmm. painful. But I think now what we've learned with UX and design thinking is the co-creative piece where you bring the clients and the users and the engineers um, along for the journey. And then together you, you solve it. And I think that shared psychological investment makes such a big difference um, because it's not about going off into the magic workshop and coming back. It's about together 
figuring out um, what you can do, putting ideas forward, picking them apart, and then building them back up again. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I love about UX design. It's just like the collaborative part. Sometimes you don't have to, you don't have to be there and trying to make things yourself. If you get stuck or something, you can actually ask the stakeholders, you know, of your project to help you out. If you ask the right questions, you'll be able actually to design together. And that's what uh, design sprints are for, to to actually design together and make things together. That's one of my favorite things about UX design. Just talk to others and figure out things together without making you feel like uh, you're, you're running out of <laughs> ideas. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would be interested to know a bit about um, your Japan experience now. We're just jumping from one topic to another, but I would like to cover um, some of the most exciting parts of your life. And, you know, uh, like, obviously you have like so many experiences. There's so many topics that we could talk about. We could make like 10 episodes just out of you, Adam. <laughs> so with Japan, so I had had that experience in Switzerland and I had been in... Uh, designing and living in Boston. And I wanted to expose um, myself to some other perspective. And, um, you know, at the time when I was growing up in the 90s, like Japan was super cool. I mean, even more so than now, like everyone was, you know, like Karate Kid was, <laughs> uh, you know, a well-known uh, movie. There was, you know, Japanese animation was at the video store. You'd rent those tapes. And it just looked like everything they were doing was, it was as if it was being sent back in time from the future. And I thought mm. that was so cool. I wanted to be part of it. So I, um, I went through a huge process uh, getting ready. Um, I learned to speak Japanese. I got a job teaching. And when I went over there, I guess I thought the way I was going to be influenced was that I would find some uh, mentor out there who would either teach me, like, I don't know, calligraphy or uh, some kind of stuff like that. Uh, or whatever their, you know, graphic design and typography influence was going to be. But it ended up being um, different from what I what I thought. Um, it turned out that actually, I think the graphic design that I saw was not incredibly strong. It was all sort of a little bit cute. Um, for me, a lot of round shapes with kind of bubbly letters and stuff. But where they were very so strong was um, definitely uh, like garden uh, design, landscape design, um, interior design, you know, very beautiful, thoughtful, and very refined um, interior design. You know, there's a mm -hmm. word that they have for that called shibui, which is a sort of a refined masculine energy is, is sort of the way that it's defined. It's this kind of like cedar wood um, structures, very kind of austere, um, a, a little mm -hmm. bit sad and happy at the same time. And that aesthetic uh, really made an impression on me. And it's something that you can experience by, uh, by living in it directly. Uh, but another thing though, was the um, essentially agile, uh, the agile mindset, you know, the, the uh, lean came from uh, the Toyota manufacturing um, a process, but it wasn't just at Toyota. There's something that's very Japanese about just the, the agile way of working. Um, and what I found was that it was just everywhere, um, whether you're at a software company or not, even if you worked at like a restaurant, they were basically doing standups um, in the morning with the staff. And they were talking about how they could iterate on their workflow, how they could 
make slight little improvements on the process to improve the customer experience. Um, and I didn't actually know at the time that there was like a word for that. I, I just thought that it was, um, that it was cool. And it was a little bit like going to this, you know, this boot camp that went on for like four years. Um, it was very strict at times, you know, I had mm -hmm. bosses who were, uh, essentially like a sensei to me, like they took me under their wing and um, they would criticize me, but they would criticize with this kind of relentless affection um, where, you know, and a lot of this is expressed overtly in the language, you know, <clears throat> they would have kind of a diminutive uh, way of referring to me, um, which is, I don't know, like calling someone's bro or something like that. But um, so it was a way of overtly expressing to me, they were saying, you know, you, who have less experience in life hmm. um, should do things X, Y, and Z kind of way. And sort of the protocol was that I would like, I would thank them and I would apologize and try to take in the lessons that they were teaching me. Um, but that strictness, you know, that compassionate strictness really um, helped me change from the way I used to be, you know, like a pretty average kind of American guy growing up and, you know, all, wearing cut off jeans and, and stuff and a little bit selfish, I think, um, to, to take on a different perspective. Um, and it taught me about accountability. It taught me about working together as a team, um, taught me about, you know, being ready and, and willing to apologize um, when you, when you haven't uh, lived up to kind of your own, what your expectations should be about yourself. And um, that it, it made a big difference for me uh, because it really kind of like broke down a lot of my assumptions um, and allowed me to sort of reinvent myself in a way. And so when I came back to America in, in 2011, it really took a little while to actually reintegrate um, and, and get, I had some reverse culture shock um, coming back in and getting used to, you know, how friendly everybody is in America and how a little bit laid back where people are sort of like, hey man, you know, you go to work, hey man, what's up? How's it going? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's trying to relax. Um, <laughs> and so I think I've had the best of both worlds. Um, and I, I love being back in the States again, but I think that boot camp experience is something that I highly recommend mm -hmm. um, to anybody who has the experience, has the opportunity. If you can spend a year in Japan, six months, um, I would say absolutely do it um, and let, let that experience change you. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, I'm about to buy a ticket right now. To do it, do, do it. it. To be honest, I've been thinking about I've been thinking about um, doing some travel and go to experience some different culture, different uh, things, different nature, different. You know, I know there is like even different trees. Uh, I think it will completely like, like open your mind a hundred percent. One of the things that I love that you said, you know, is that the way you ch you changed and, you know, you were not selfish anymore and you were able to express, you know, yourself better, your, feel your feelings better and I apologize more to people and more acceptance. And I feel that's, that's one of the uh, main problems that people have um, nowadays is that, especially men, that you know, they have to kind of fit into this fake persona of like a tough person, like a person that you can't mess with or like a muscular person. You know, there is like some type of persona that we all feel like that we, we have to fit in. And, I, you know, I really like, you said, you know, when when you came um, 
from Japan that you weren't even selfish anymore, like completely change your mind? Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't, you know, I still make a lot of mistakes. Um, of course, that's but it, it helped move the needle. I would say that experience helped it. I think it did make me a better person. And, you know, wherever you go, I, I think it's just so important um, if you can. And especially if you're, if you're at a point in your life where maybe you haven't gotten married yet, you don't have kids, you don't have a house yet. If you're at that point, this is, you know, COVID aside, this is the perfect time to try yeah. something completely different. Try living overseas, no matter where it is, you know, even if it's whatever, any, any place, but try something different and let it change you. Because I can tell you from experience that um, it will do something that you can't get any other way. And those, um, those lessons will stay with you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And nowadays you can literally uh, work remotely from anywhere you want. So you could rent a house in Japan and That's work from dream, Japan. That's the right? I think I'm going to be renting a house from the beach. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we, which beach? Like California type or like Hawaii type, Caribbean? So when I first graduated college, I was literally looking up AIGA Hawaii because I wanted to know, you know, what do you want to do? What can you do if you want to be a graphic designer in Hawaii? <laughs> um, you know, it didn't really pan out, but I yeah, think, yeah. I don't, I don't think the pay is so great as well. <laughs> it's not that, I don't think it's that great. I don't think no. it would have been but, a good experience. <laughs> but the surfing though. Oh yeah, but the, the surfing. Oh, oh God, I would love that. I would love that. Yeah, do, yeah. What kind of food do they have in Hawaii? Oh yeah, I mean, um, I think it does actually have an Eastern influence. I've never spent a lot of time there. I've only been there for a couple of days, so um, it's hard for me to say. But I tried something really great called loco moco, which is kind of like mm, a rice nice. with fried egg. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. I just love the name, like loco moco. Sounds so nice. Uh, literally, like today, you know, if you wanted to, you could like rent a house in Hawaii and work remotely from from there. From the states, uh, Hawaii is like so close. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in theory, um, this you totally can. And I think that um, one of the things that I'm hopeful will will stick. You know, maybe not at every company everywhere, but I think that the remote work is really proving um, that we can do it. It does work. We can be productive. And I think a lot of companies are either going to switch uh, to be uh, full on remote or they're just going to be a lot more open to it. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm not sure exactly when, but I think maybe a couple of years um, down the line, we'll be able to be more flexible about, about where we live. Yeah, 100%. One last um, question. If you had the possibility to give a tip to someone who wants to be mentored, uh, what would it be? Don't be afraid to ask for help, um, you know, and especially don't be afraid to talk to people who you may hold them in very high regard. Um, don't assume that they won't get back to you. You know, I've, I've gotten advice from people who are some of the best known um, people in the world, people who have published dozens and dozens of books. Um, I emailed them and they emailed me back. So I think you should absolutely don't, don't, um, don't negotiate against yourself, right? If you're curious about something and you really admire someone, send them an email, mm -hmm. uh, take an interest and uh, you'd be surprised because they'll probably get back to you. Amazing, love the tip. Uh, don't be afraid, just uh, get in touch with people and also feel free to get in touch with Aman 
uh, with Adam on uh, UX Coffee or uh, on LinkedIn. He's always available to to help others. I mean, as as you can see. Thank you so much, Adam, for this. Uh, if someone wanted to contact you, uh, where could they get in touch with you? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best way. Um, so just find me on LinkedIn um, if you want to say hi. You know, send me a message. I may not be able to respond right away, um, but I will when I can. And and that's sort of like a, a personal pledge that I've made um, a while ago is that I will try to answer every question um, that someone asks me um, or or be unable to answer it. But so I'll try. you'll know that Adam will answer your question and definitely make sure to check out uh, Adam podcast. Uh, still iterating and um, yeah, there will be more episodes to come very soon. Thank you so much, Adam, for this. And uh, I hope you have uh, an amazing day. Thanks again. It's been a lot of fun.